Okay, let's get started. Uh, you know, I actually work for the Adjustment Bureau. You do work for the Adjustment Bureau? We call it the Illuminati in my <laughs> in my organization. Oh shit, don't air that. Oh my god! <laughs> I hate this bit! I hate this bit where you pretend to be in the Illuminati! Guys, I'm sure we've talked about this bit before, but like, Gavin and I like to mess with Carrie Ann by make- convincing her that we're in the Illuminati and that we control aspects of her life. They're jokingly trying to gaslight me, and I'm not about it! Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we are the ones who make things happen. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So you're... I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. Okay, gotcha. Perfect. Sometimes it's hard. And this week we are covering the 2011 action thriller romance flick. Okay. The Adjustment Bureau. Guys, what the hell? <laughs> like, I I remember when this film first started premiering and I was like, hmm, what's going on with all the men in the suits and fedoras? <laughs> Guess I'll never find out because I'm not interested. <laughs> this was your first time watching. This is my first time seeing this film. And you know what? It wasn't the worst way to spend an evening, but this is... <laughs> This is silly. I know, I know. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That is with an and, not an ampersand. And guys, it's a brand new year, 2021. Make sure you're sharing our episodes, telling your friends about the show. We're trying to grow more of an audience, everybody. Exactly. We want you to practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this little watch party. All right. Let's put on our hats and get to work. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's going to be this kind of episode, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> There's the clicker. No one would blame me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What is this? We are the people who make sure things happen according to plan. We monitor the entire world. Can't outrun your fate, David. You've just seen behind a curtain that you weren't even supposed to know existed. This is your plan, and we're determined to keep it that way. You bumped into a woman this morning on the bus. Were you just staring at my legs? I was defenseless against the dress. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? Your path through the world is supposed to have been adjusted. You weren't ever supposed to see her again. If you truly love her, just walk away. If you stay with her, it not only kills your dreams, it kills hers. I don't care what you put in my way, I'm not giving up. They're making a run for it. I need you to trust me. Okay. All I have are the choices I make, and I choose her. Just remember, we tried to reason with you. So we decided, guys, we do... (laughs) 
guys, listen. Last year when we did February and we did rom-coms, I was going stress blind at the end of that month. It was not my thing. So this February, we're deciding to do some different kinds of love stories. And wow, is this a different kind of love story. It really is a different kind of love story. But you know, it didn't start out that way. It didn't. The Adjustment Bureau is based off of a science fiction story called The Adjustment Team. Boo. I know. (laughs) The Bureau's better. I'd actually never heard of Philip K. Dick. What? Really? Yeah. So the adjustment team was first published in 1954 in a very popular science fiction magazine called Orbit Science Fiction. I say it was popular. It lasted from September 1953 to November 1954. So like... (laughs) Well, that's how many installments it was probably published in. I mean, I guess. (laughs) But the adjustment team is just one of those stories. I know it's a hard thing to imagine in our digital age, but yeah, that's usually how it happened. So Philip K. Dick explored things like, you know, alternate realities, uh, monopolies, drug abuse, authoritarian governments, and really just kind of spliced it together with all that science fiction technology. I'm actually, we, we have ourselves, he's not necessarily an Asimov, but Asimov? Asmanov. <laughs> the guy who wrote iRobot. Yeah, remember when we did iRobot, guys? Yes. <laughs> they were writing in the same time. Yeah. So this film follows this organization, this group of men. They're angels, by the way, but we'll get to that. Like, I mean, they're they're kind of angels, yeah, but I really don't feel like that describes it. When Carrie Ann first suggested doing a different kind of love story, like, she's been just she's just been wanting to do the Adjustment Bureau. Carrie Ann likes this film, and I've never seen it. <laughs> And she was like, it's kind of a love story. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like this is going to get messy. Guess what? It gets messy. <laughs> it gets messy. But yeah, we're here We're here following the love story of Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, two people who believe they are fated to be together forever, but not if the Adjustment Bureau has anything to say about it. I wish that were their actual character names. I wish it was actually Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. Instead of David Norris and Elise whatever. <laughs> Elise, yeah. Elise, I can't remember her last name. Whatever. You said it. It's Elise whatever. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. As always, we have names in his first kicking and streaming appearance really i believe so um you know i think you're right we have mr born himself matt damon guys let's have this conversation real quick (laughs) about how matt damon is the good half of the damon affleck partnership i'm just saying matt damon wrote goodwill hunting Everybody knows that. Ben Affleck sat on the couch and smoked pot the whole time. Like, you know, Seth MacFarlane made a joke about it. Like, everybody knows that. Because see, nowadays, Matt Damon is in accredited films such as The Martian. And Ben Affleck is famous for his memes getting his food delivered to the front door of his house. (laughs) That meme of him smoking a cigarette on the balcony of wherever he lives looking like he wants to just die... I love it. So Matt Damon has been in some pretty big things, hasn't he? Goodwill Hunting. Talented Mr. Ripley. Saving Private Ryan. The Departed. The Jason Bourne franchise. One of the most successful action franchises of all time. I've never seen a one of them. Oh, I've seen like the first one, but that was it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the lovely, the talented Mary Poppins herself. Ms. Emily Blunt. Absolutely. Mrs. Krasinski. Yes, Mrs. Krasinski. (laughs) 
We know her from things like The Devil Wears Prada, The Young Victoria, Mary Poppins Returns, Girl on a Train, Edge of Tomorrow. A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. That movie is so fabulous. With husband John Krasinski. (laughs) Guys, we love Emily Blunt. We stand Emily Blunt. We want Emily Blunt here with us right now. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Girl, call us. You make this movie. Please call these two overweight Midwesterners in a basement somewhere in Indiana. We love you. We'll be waiting for your call. We have Anthony Mackie. I liked him. I literally couldn't pick him out of anything else. Like, I was like, I like you, though. Isn't he part of the Marvel Universe? Um, this has nothing to do with that. He was in 8 Mile with Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) He was in the Hurt Locker. But you're right about the Marvel thing. He is Falcon? That's right. Okay, see, like like I say it over and over again on this podcast, I'm way behind in my Marvel watching. Pardon my French, but how many fucking Marvel movies are there? <laughs> oh my god, guys, I know that this is like a huge thing that like just culminated, but like, how many things are there? Oh, I'm seeing he has some Broadway and off-Broadway credits because, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which they just made into a Netflix film. Yes. It's actually a very popular play. I didn't know that. From the 80s. But was he in it in the 80s? No, he was born in 1978. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) So he was in like a revival of it. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was in a production of it. We have in his first kicking and streaming appearance. Mr. John Slattery. Guys, do y'all watch Mad Men? Do you have access to AMC original series? Oh my god, they took it off of Netflix. Uh, I'm so mad about it. I'm going to try and be better about cursing this year (laughs) on the air. It's going to be hard. But they're taking all your favorite shows and booting them to, like, the original streaming services of their parent channels. Screw you, Peacock. (laughs) Give the office and the West Wing back. They took your depression shows away. Oh, don't say it like that. <laughs> I literally can't think of a single other thing that John Slattery is in besides this and Mad Men. I know he's in a new show that's either an Amazon Prime original or it's on TV somewhere, but it has something to do with like AI technology taking us over. He's in Avengers Endgame. Is he really? He's Howard Stark. Oh, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right! He's also an Ant-Man, Captain America's Civil War. Howard Stark is Iron Man's dad. As far as television goes, you know he's been on the Law and Order. He plays Sam, Will's brother on Will and Grace. That's right. Yeah. Um, he's been in all the Law and Orders. He was on 30 Rock, he did Colbert Report. He was Mayor Larry on The Cleveland Show. <laughs> He's in Arrested Development, Wet Hot American Summer. John Slattery is just, he has a myriad of talents. He will just always be Roger Sterling for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I and know. I, I hate Roger. I know. You're, you, you're, if you're a good person, you hate Roger. Roger's one of the worst characters. I know. And it, things just end up hunky-dory for him in the end. Boo. Boo. Okay, we have Michael Kelly as Michael Kelly. <laughs> He's from uh, House of Cards. Guys, he's Doug. He's Doug Stamper in House of Cards. And I've never seen him in a film before. So this is my first time seeing Michael Kelly in a film. I only know him as Doug. Every time I see him, he's always playing somebody's bad guy secondhand. Yeah, that's exactly. It's the role he was born to play, it seems. He just looks kind of slimy and not fun to be with. Who knows? I love that he's been in Unbreakable and Invincible. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Damn, Michael Kelly. (laughs) And other notable mentions, guys, in his second kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Terrence Stamp. 
Guys, he was in Haunted Mansion! No, for the last time. Good night, Mr. Evers. You may also be familiar with him from the Superman movies. If you watch Smallville, you'll recognize his voice as the voice of Jor-El. He's Chancellor Valorum in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Yes, he is! He's just got one of those big spooky voices and one of those intimidating presences that you need in films like this. He's also had a career that spanned seven decades, so good on you, Terry. Is he still with us? He is. He is. He is 82. Oh, bless him. I also want to mention Anthony Ruvivar. He is in, he, he's in The Haunting of Hill House. Yes, he plays uh, the, um, the daughter with the- Shirley. Mor- yeah. He plays Shirley's husband. Yeah, they own the mortuary. Yes. Yes. What a cute little gig together. Huh? I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, also in, he's also the voice of Bruce Wayne in Beware the Batman. Ooh. Which is a, it's on Cartoon Network. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the DC Nation cartoon thing. I, see, I don't know. <laughs> well, you weren't <laughs> I'm really- I'm talking about things I don't know. You about. really were not into the DC when you were a kid. Yeah, I'm not into superheroes. I'm not into gaming. Like, I'm just- <laughs> You're a specific kind of nerd. I am. You're like, a book nerd. It's weird. Yeah, I like my books and my papers and my research. It was released on Valentine's Day. Guys, it, this is a love story. I don't know, dude. <laughs> Ross, what else would it really be about? The central conflict is these two people who are desperately in love with see, each other. See, to me, this seems like two production teams came together to make one movie. It's like one movie was being made starring Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. It was like a rom-com. And then they were making the Adjustment Bureau. And then they were like, you know what? Let's just merge these two things. Because there's a lot going on. <laughs> All right. We're going to do our best to like be clear about what's happening. There's just a lot of metaphysical and like nonsensical stuff that happens in this movie. My opening note is, uh-oh, Matt Damon. Take it away, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> so we open at a campaign event for Congressman David Norris, Matt Damon. He is campaigning for a seat in the Senate for New York State. Um, he's, David is very good looking, very charismatic. Every, I hate him. I, why do you hate him? Because he's a white man trying to represent the people of New York. All right. Because <laughs> isn't he campaigning in Brooklyn? Or like for the Brooklyn yeah, seat yeah, or something? Yeah, he's from Brooklyn. I'm not sure which district that is. You thinking, knowing me, you think I would know. Yeah. But. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hi there. My name's David Norris, and I'd like to be the next senator from the great state of New York. Like, he's everything you would expect a politician to be. In the universe of this movie, he was the youngest person ever to be elected to the House of Representatives at the baby age of 24. AOC stole your thunder, dude. Yeah, I know. (laughs) How old was AOC when she was in? She was only 29. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that? I know. Since 1789, it's been required that you be 25 to be a member of Congress. And we've never elected anyone younger than 29. I don't think anybody, usually people usually don't get elected at that age because people don't think they're experienced I enough. could run for Congress. I know, that's terrifying. No, here's the thing. <laughs> as long as I'm 25 by January 3rd of the next session, I can run. For, I could run for Congress now. Yeah. I could run for the 118th. That is so crazy like, to me. Uh, and like, you know, David has some similar issues with his reputation. Whenever I see you on C-SPAN, Uh, And and you stand. I always think you're about to go, Chug! (laughs) The movie opens with all of these interviews. We get a lot of 
cameos. We got some expensive cameos. In the first few minutes of this film. What are some mentions? He's on Jon Stewart. He's rubbing elbows with the likes of Madeline Albright. Yeah. Jesse Jackson. Yeah. Michael Bloomberg is giving a speech in his honor. I gave Jesse Jackson a hug once. You did? I did. How was it? It was, it was, I felt... Like, my problems were no longer a thing. Aw, that's sweet. Guys, it's when I worked at Cracker Barrel in Greenfield, Indiana. <laughs> and one of my coworkers was like, is that Jesse Jackson? And I'm like, no, that's not Jesse Jackson. And then one of my regulars got up and was like, hey, are you Jesse Jackson? And he just opened his arms and gave her the biggest hug. And I was like, and we all lined up to get hugs from Reverend Jesse Jackson. And it was great. He was just trying to pay and leave. But no, we all needed a hug and a picture. <laughs> anyway, going on. I love it when movies do this, when we get real life talking heads to enrich the believability, the verisimilitude of somebody who's in politics or in media. House of Cards is very good at that. Oh, yeah. House of Cards does they it all the time. They have all of the major NBC, CNN anchors on House of Cards all the time. Rachel Maddow. Yes. Yes. David is really kicking it on the campaign trail. People really like him. He's on fire. But that's okay because these are the same people who say that young people don't vote. Young people don't care about politics. But I'm here to tell you, your future's about your choices, not theirs. So today I'd like to put them on notice. Because come November, I want them to know that it was young people like you who kicked their asses. Until, oops, somebody uncovers a picture of David at his college reunion mooning somebody. I mean, of all the things... Like, it could have been blackface. It could have been, you know... Racial slurs. It could have been a rape. No. No, this is just a college prank that happened to be caught on film. So, now things ain't going so good because of this one thing? I want that. I want that bar in reality. That's what I was just getting ready to say. Imagine for a second that the last four years did not take place. I can't. I know you can't. It's seared into my brain. I know, but just try to put yourself in that place. If, if, if that bar had not been... Uh, buried so freakishly low yeah. for for politician behavior. If you heard about a congressman pulling his pants down at a crowded party, I'd say it's another Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> like, leave the guy alone. That wouldn't that wouldn't give you pause about his fitness for office. Not necessarily. It happened when he was a child. All right, all right. So it's election night. We're at campaign headquarters, and we're running to be a senator. Right? Yes, for the state of New York. Like, the districts are coming in one at a time. It's not looking good. The guy that he's running against, Linfield, he's like a good old boy, good old party candidate. He's a tool, as he's described later. <laughs> Linfield is the presumptive winner. And David's like, well, that's fantastic. This has all been for naught. And he goes into the restroom in the Waldorf Astoria. I wrote, shit, if that ain't the nicest bathroom I've ever seen. <laughs> I know, right? It's swanky and it's empty. He goes in there. He's standing there by himself practicing the concession speech. And then he hears this noise in one of the stalls. Shit. <laughs> he thinks he's in there by himself. Hello? <laughs> And this woman in this gorgeous evening gown steps out of the male bathroom stall. It's 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 Mary Poppins, everybody. <laughs> Emily Blunt is here. Her name is Elise. We don't know that yet, but we're just going to say now her name is Elise. And I get I love he goes. It's the men's. Yep. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to eavesdrop. I just 
didn't know what to do. Because I heard you come in and say hello, and I probably should have said hi, but then I thought that would be weird, because it's the men's. Um, and then you started talking to yourself, and... And it was obviously very personal, so I was kind of stuck in no man's land, and... Uh, then it all got to be too much, so I came out. W what are you doing in here? <laughs> so I guess Elise was hiding from building security because she crashed a wedding upstairs. I know. I love what he says to her. He's like, does anybody even do that anymore? <laughs> she says it's on a dare. I don't know, Elise. I feel like you were processing some things today. I love her whole character because she is very frank, very funny, and she it's she's like she's not afraid to say what's on her mind, but she's also not a dick about it. She can take away the whole political facade he's he's having a very human moment right now you know what i mean nothing's calculated nothing's you know projected in terms of how he needs to carry himself with this individual he's just talking to somebody it's so natural it's They're, probably very refreshing for him yeah the chemistry from the jump is right there <laughs> i wrote this is the gayest hetero moment i've ever seen on screen <laughs> Because they do, they have a cute little conversation. Like, like they're talking about his campaign, and she's like, well, what are you going to do when this is all over? I guess I'm mostly just looking forward to having some time by myself. I don't buy it. I think you love it. it do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy it. <laughs> I think you love it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like she can see right through him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll get more into David's background later, but David doesn't really have anybody at this point in his life, except for his campaign manager. He's just got Doug Stamper. <laughs> Sorry. Which, What's his actual name? I think his name's Charlie. It is. Charlie Trainer. That's his name. That's his campaign manager's name. He's like the... He and him grew up together, and he, they're like best friends, but he doesn't have a mom. He doesn't have a dad. He had an older brother at one point, but he died when David was young. So it's just, it's very nice to see him have this real human connection, even if it's with a total stranger. And guys, you guessed it. After a couple of moments of undressing each other with their eyes, they're locking lips in this Astoria bathroom. I'm here for it. I like know! <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Charlie comes in to break it up. He's like, hey, hey, come on. We've got a concession speech to give. Like, you lost, buddy. <laughs> Let's go tell him why. Yeah! <laughs> David just lost an election, and he is giddy as a schoolgirl. Yeah. Because of this encounter he's had with this woman. And, like, I love how she runs out of the bathroom. Security just chases her away. <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, please come back here. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's wearing heels for Christ's sakes. Yeah. How have you not caught her by now? And so... He, like, doesn't want to let her go. I know. And th now he has to go give his concession speech. He gets up on stage. He's up there parroting some platitudes that his manager gave him. He went, I get knocked down. No. He says... You you laughed at this so hard. No, play the bit where he says... Well, we had a rule in my neighborhood. When you got in a fight, it wasn't whether or not you got knocked down. It's what you do when you get back up. We're stealing from Chumba Woomba in our concession speech? If you if you're if you lost because of a prank picture taken at a college reunion, I guess you'd yeah, I guess you'd cite Chumba Woomba. <laughs> We're gonna quote Tub something. <laughs> I get knocked down.
so basically, he just goes off script. He basically just tells the crowd, listen, every part of my life for the last however many months has just been so calculated, and it's all bullshit. Like, they told me I couldn't wear anything but a red or blue tie, because you wouldn't vote for me otherwise. And I'm like, you know, when you hear that from somebody, that just seems so crazy to me. But at the same time, there, guys, there's a whole industry around polling data. There's whole whole separate industries around data of all kinds. He's just up there giving away all the campaign secrets. The look on everyone's face backstage, especially Charlie. Oh, Charlie is like going into cleanup mode. You hear Charlie under his breath goes, fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All this hard work. The discussion around the proper amount of shoe scuffing? My shoes. You know, shiny shoes we associate with uh, high-priced lawyers and bankers. If you want to get a working man's vote, you need to scuff up your shoes a little bit. But you can't scuff them up so much that you alienate the lawyers and the bankers because you need them to pay for the specialist back in Tenafly. Yeah. That is ridiculous. When he holds up the shoe and that's the front page. You know, he holds up the shoe and he's like, listen, does this shoe look scuffed up enough to you? Would you vote for me? Because I can't look like a doctor or a lawyer, but I can't look to every man either. This moment with this woman in this bathroom that was very genuine and transparent, it's just kind of inspired him to drop the whole political facade. Yeah. And like, see, and and I mean, hey. I hate to give him credit considering this is literally the strategy that Trump used, but he tells it like it is. He's being honest with you and you feel like you can trust him because of it, right? Yeah. Okay. So up until this point, we've seen these men lurking about in the fedoras and the suits. Right. It's time to talk about the adjusters. Yes. So, like, John Slattery, he is one of the adjusters. He's the one that we get a lot of FaceTime with. He's playing Richardson. Yeah, that's just his name. It's just Richardson. He's here with Harry, played by Anthony Mackie. Yeah, Falcon. Falcon. And they're saying they're just standing around saying really cryptic things that don't make a lot of sense without the context. Things like... He has to spill his coffee on his shirt by 7.05. 7.05 at the latest. I'll get him as soon as he enters the park. Can't imagine being on this guy as long as you have. 7.05. He's got to spill his coffee on his tie by 7.05 a.m. It's very mysterious, and that's really all we're getting right we're now. These two men are making sure that he misses his bus. And so, like, David is walking through Central Park on the way to the bus stop. Harry the Adjuster, he's the one who's supposed to make sure that he spills coffee on his shirt. So he's sitting on a bench in Central Park waiting for David to go by. He's dead ass asleep. Yeah, he's not at all. Are you, I wrote, are you asleep? Um, <laughs> sir. <laughs> David goes to the bus stop and the adjuster just misses the bus. Like, I think like a ray of sunshine finally hits him in the face. Yeah. And he wakes up and realizes that David is about to get on the bus. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Guess who's on the bus with David? Elise! It's Elise. She's just kind of sleeping against the bus window on her morning commute. Have we met? You look vaguely familiar, yeah. yeah. Waldorf men's room. You got it. Were you just staring at my legs while I slept? Yeah, I was defenseless against the small dress there. <laughs> it's a skirt. It's a belt. <laughs> 
and they're like, oh my God, hey, remember when we kissed in that bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> the night I lost that senatorial election. We're slowly gathering here because this is what? A couple months later. Yeah, it's a couple months later. David obviously lost and he's he's actually on his way to a job interview with his campaign manager's company. Which I'm sorry, it's not ethical. You're still a United States congressman. Like... <laughs> D- all right, don't get all right. another job on the people's time. You're I'm right. So- you're right. You're right. Like if Jimmy, if Jimmy Carter can't keep his peanut farm and be president of the United States, I, I, I'm sorry. You can't work at an investment <laughs> firm there, David. Exactly. And so what we're gathering here is that he was not supposed to get on that bus. Yeah. And he was not supposed to see Elise again because it's part of the air quote plan. Yes. Yes. It's very like that's the thing. I feel like this movie could have benefited from a little more context a little earlier on. Probably. Yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Harry chases this bus for who knows how long. Because it's it, that's how important this is. <laughs> he is, wrote he running. <laughs> like somebody's like, hey, somebody's trying to get on the bus. And the driver's like, ah, there's another one behind me. But Harry is just running through New York trying to catch up mm. on the bus. Elise and David are striking up, you know, another cute little conversation. They're flirting again. And it ends in Elise writing down her telephone number for him on a card and him putting it in his wallet. And it's so cute because she goes to get off the bus. This is her stop. And like he follows her to the door and she turns around to wave goodbye to him. And he goes, the morning after the election, I woke up thinking about you. And there's the look on her face. I'm like, oh, thank you, Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> so very sweet. Harry gets taxied. Oh, my God. Like, he thinks he's finally caught up with the bus. And then this taxi just pancakes him in the middle of the street. So these adjusters, whoever they are, they're obviously corporeal, but they can't be hurt like humans can be hurt. Harry is panicking because he's got this journal with him and it's a copy of what's known as the plan. It's it's the grand master plan for all of eternity. How about this journal? You love this bit, right? I I do because like you open up the journal and it's literally a map, but like you can, it looks like a city map, but like it's not exactly a city. Exactly. It's just like different paths and different lines meeting at places. And I'm like, oh my God, these people are keeping tabs on the universe. It looks like the Marauder's map. It does, doesn't it? Like, you know how the Marauder's map has moving pieces. You can see where people are. I solemnly swear they are up to no good. (laughs) (laughs) Because like the thing about this movie, this movie really more, more than story is based on a concept. Like you have those moments in life, I'm sure, where you think to yourself, well, If I had only not misplaced my keys, I wouldn't have been late to this meeting, and then this wouldn't happen. Or if I had selected paper instead of plastic, then the grocery bags wouldn't have broken, or something like that. That's why we have the Adjustment Bureau, to make sure those little things happen. The Adjustment Bureau, like the tagline, we are the people who make things happen. Actual John Slattery line. Yeah. And so they are the people that make sure you make little choices or make mistakes or whatever. They make little things happen so that the bigger outcome can be controlled. Case in point, David was supposed to spill coffee on his tie so he would go upstairs to change and he would miss that bus and never cross paths with Elise again. Yeah. And we don't know yet why they're not supposed to cross paths again, but it's, it seems very, very serious mm-hmm. the way all the adjusters are acting. David finally gets to work. He walks into the building. He's in a hurry because he's already late. He's not really paying attention to his surroundings. All of the employees in the building 
are kind of frozen in place. I, I looked at you and I went, are these people stuffed? <laughs> like, if, if I find out these people are stuffed, I'm going to hit you. Like if it was like if it's Madame Toussaint's wax museum or something? No, they're just frozen in time. Yeah, like he says hi to the receptionist. She doesn't say I'm back. She doesn't like, even move. Who knows? It might just be her thing. He walks into the office where Charlie is supposed to be waiting for him. And there's Charlie frozen in place. He's surrounded by these dudes in all black uniforms and motorcycle helmets with the visors down. And they're like waving all of these sci-fi looking things over him. They're editing the continuum. Yeah. <laughs> they're editing the things these this guy is saying. But um, David walked in. Yeah. And I just love the look on Richardson's face. John Slattery. Just like, oh, shit. Grab him. Grab him. David starts tearing ass through this office building. He's running from Richardson and these guys in motorcycle helmets, but like they're not really chasing him. It's just that every time he comes around a corner, Richardson's right there. And what's funny about this is Richardson is like annoyed. Yeah. He's like, dude, this doesn't have to be this hard. Like, seriously, just stop and we can make it go away. David, I really wish you'd just listen to me. It's like you can just tell this these gigs never go right for him. You know what I honestly just can't unsee? What? It, this is just Roger Sterling working for the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just applying that advertising knowledge to a more uh, bureaucratic sort of role. I would have, you know what? I have a new in-head canon theory. Okay, tell me. That Roger Sterling is actually just Richardson. <laughs> And he has chosen the 60s where he's going to hang out. He just opened a door and suddenly he's in the 60s. Because guys, these beings, these members of the Adjustment Bureau who are not quite human, they have the power of doors. Like, okay, no, not the power of doors specifically, but like they can open a door and they can control what's on the other side of that door. As long as they have their magic fedora on. Yeah. They just turn the knob clockwise and they can be wherever they want to be in the city. They can be anywhere, anywhen. It's how they control things so easily. They can be in Midtown one minute and then on the Upper East Side in a heartbeat. So finally they tackle him. They chloroform him. Oh my God. And they take him to this abandoned parking garage? It, okay, here's the thing. It's not a parking garage, but that's what I wrote. I went, welcome to our company parking garage. <laughs> it's kind of got a deep throat feel to it, it right? It does. It does. It, it Here's the thing. I bet the set is actually a parking garage that they've refurbished to make look like this, you know, just this warehouse space. I don't know. They've strapped him to a chair. And, like, there's all of these men in suits standing around him talking about what they're going to do with him. Exactly. He wakes up, you know, he's kind of in a, you know, he's dazed and confused. He's just, like, listening to all these men, like, oh, this is a big fuck up. Oh, this is a big screw up, guys. They've got that journal open looking at the plan going, look at this. Look at all these ripple effects. Uh -huh. We have to reset him. And I'm guessing this is the first time this has ever happened. Is this really the first time a human being has discovered the Adjustment Bureau's work? Maybe this has happened a couple times before, but maybe not with something so important and him bound is like um let me go <laughs> who the hell are you guys we are the people who make sure things happen according to plan my name's richardson oh 
and he goes, oh, okay, and then runs out of his chair. <laughs> He's like, okay, fine, and just takes off running. And Richardson, like, waves one finger, and he raises a slab of concrete in the floor, so it trips him. Guys, I'm not saying they're angels. I'm saying they're not human. Exactly. They got inhuman powers. And they just all kind of come to the agreement that they just have to follow him for the rest of his life and make sure he doesn't say dick. Yeah, because there's two choices here. They could follow him for the rest of his life and make sure he never never divulges this secret to anyone. Or they could reset him, meaning that all of his memories, his entire personality, his identity, it all goes away. And the reason they can't do that is because David is a very important person to the plan. Yes. And if they reset him, he becomes useless. His role in the expansion of the greater will of the universe is very important. And Elise is not part of this plan. No, she's not. And guess who gets to write all these plans? The chairman. Oh my god, literally. (laughs) Guys, the chairman? These guys are angels. You can't... (laughs) If these guys are angels and you're telling me the chairman is not God? (laughs) What we would call God, that's the chairman. The person who designs the master plan. And his minions, these adjusters, they're his angels, as we would call them. So so the bottom line is, he was never supposed to see Elise again. And now they're going to make sure that doesn't happen. Because all he has is a first name, Elise. Okay. Oh, one more thing. You uh, you bumped into a woman this morning on the bus. Elise? What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you weren't ever supposed to see her again. <laughs> what is it? But, I mean, what does that matter? Because it matters. So they take that business card out of his wallet with her number on it and burn it right in front of him. Aww. Like, it's just like, come on. He's like, wait a minute, why? Why can't I be with Elise? Why, why, why won't you let me have a girlfriend? And also, are there any women working at the bureau? Yeah, they're all, all men. Yes, they are. Like, I, I hate that. I would have liked this movie that much more if there had been female adjusters. I want Kate Blanchett to oh, be an adjuster. Right? She would be fabulous. <laughs> she wouldn't be caught dead in this movie and you know it. But yeah, this is like Star Wars. There's no women. There's actually just one woman <laughs> in this entire movie. They throw him through this door in the parking garage and he lands in Charlie's office. And then Charlie comes through the other door and goes, what are you doing on my floor? <laughs> Dude, what are you doing on my floor? You know, I called you like 10 times. You could have picked up. Christine, I found him. He's in my office. What the hell are you doing? You have a headache. What is wrong with you? And like David's just staring at him because David saw him getting like reset or whatever. Exactly. So he's like, are you okay? Do you have a headache or anything? He's like, no, man. Could you stop being so freaking weird? It's time to get to work. So David's world is kind of rocked, right? Mm -hmm. All he knows is that he can't get this woman off his mind. But more importantly, there's like an Illuminati type cabal that's working against him in his own life. Oh, I know. And like, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Just stop it right now. Oh, I know. Stop. You are not a member of the Illuminati. Really? (laughs) Yes, really. If you check the back of a $1 bill, (laughs) if you put it under a microscope, my name is in the pyramid. No, it's not. Under his eye. (laughs) That's a different thing. You're right. I stole. 
David's by himself at a bar, just chilling out. You were freaking out about the lady behind the bar. Okay, the lady behind the bar. I can't believe that she was in Contagion with Matt Damon that same year. She has like two lines in this movie. And she plays a big part in Contagion. It's Jennifer Ella. Like, I don't know why she's not even credited in this film. She's like like an under five. Yeah. Harry comes and finds him at this bar and and he's like, listen, man. I'm an adjuster. I have a weird job. I kind of feel bad for you. So I kind of want to explain some things to you, but we can't do it here because the adjusters are listening everywhere. Yeah. And because David is so important, he's always got somebody looking at his plan. Mm -hmm. So Harry's like, meet me on the ferry in an hour and I'll give you some answers. Yeah. And apparently like one of the way, because like when you think about it, the ability to make just about anything happen, that's a lot of power, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost godlike power. The way one of the ways that the chairman curtails their powers. God. God, yes. The chairman <laughs> is representative of God. <laughs> one of the ways that he limits their power is that water messes with the adjuster's abilities to perceive your decision tree. Like an alien in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, we can't do water. <laughs> So that's why Harry wants him to meet him on the ferry, because then they won't be able to see them talking to each other. (laughs) And so they're on the ferry, and of course David has nothing but questions. This is just a big exposition dump scene. Beep, beep, beep. Our first exposition dump of 2021. Yes! Uh, When you make a decision, your mind weighs options. We can perceive that. We know when you're going to go off the plan or not, because if we're close enough, we can sense when it's going to happen. We're just here to keep you on plan. That's all we're authorized to do. Harry's like, we're just here to keep you on plan. Like, we're here to make sure you make all the right decisions so that the best outcome for the greater good happens. For some reason that Harry will not explain, David and Elise just can't be together. Harry's very honest with him. You can look for her, but you won't find her. They'll make sure that you don't. No matter what you do. They will make sure you never see this woman again. And like, yeah, when he explains, you know, it's the little things that you don't notice that we're changing about people's lives. Filling coffee on you. Forgetting your keys when you go out to your car to get in your car. Turning right instead of left. Exactly. Like those little things. And I, it really did get me thinking for a second about like, you know, if I hadn't left my keys in the house... You know, that cost me 30 seconds. What could have possibly happened in the 30 seconds before I was there that would have ended me? See, it's that kind of mental gymnastics that make me like this movie. Yeah. This movie gets me thinking. (laughs) I think about that all the time with Seth MacFarlane. Like, what if Seth MacFarlane had not been late for the flight that got crashed into the two towers? Exactly. Like, what the fuck? We wouldn't have the scourge of Family Guy. Or American Dad. Or the Cleveland Show. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad he didn't die just because he's a human being with people who love him but we as a culture we've let him get away with too much for too long okay (laughs) that's all i'm saying so guys we get a three year time skip three years later yeah like david's fine he's thriving kind of but despite all of his success he's still missing elise three years later we're sitting on a bus we're staring all sad out the window That bus that he met her on the second time, he's taken that same bus to work every morning for three years, hoping he would run into her again. And he hasn't. And this is the first day that he's looking out the bus window, all depressed, and there's Elise on the sidewalk. Um, hello? (laughs) Ding, ding, time to get off! 
Mr. Bureauman. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen, dude. And I love how they admit that that was a coincidence. Yeah, because some things, sometimes these things happen by chance. Sometimes the adjusters make them happen. But this is an example of actual coincidence. Can you imagine if a man didn't call you back for three years and all of a sudden just comes up to you on the street? Yeah, she's obviously very conflicted. Like, I mean, I think she's a lot nicer than she could have been. Yeah. We have a lot to catch up on. I don't on. think you should cancel your speech. What if I don't like you at the end of our walk? I'll take my chances. Well, seriously, my number hasn't changed. Just call me like you didn't last time. <laughs> Look, if you take a walk with me, I'll explain why. You know what I mean? She's like, oh, this is weird. I gave you my number and you didn't call me. And he's like, listen, 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 listen. I couldn't. I lost your number. I was mugged. Like, he gives some bullshit excuse. Because he can't tell her about the bureau. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't want to start a relationship with that kind of stuff. Why didn't you call me? Because a bunch of angels told me I couldn't. <laughs> so he clears his entire day to spend time with her. Congressman, is, is that your best use of the people's time? <laughs> He doesn't want to lose her again, because now that he's seen her in the wild, it's like a one in a million chance that he'd ever run into her by accident again. The wild. Like, it, there's nine million people in this city. Yeah. Like, what are the odds he's ever going to run into her by chance again? It took three years for it to happen again. So we're we're getting back into talking. Yeah, they're walking and talking, getting some details about each other's lives that they missed in the first couple of meetings. We learn that Elise is a very talented dancer with she's, the Cedar Lake Contemporary Ballet. She's a ballerina. She uh, uh, What? You. I love Your ballerinas. Your panties are on the ground about Emily Blunt Stop it. being a ballerina. I love it. She's Listen, she's a very smart, funny person, but she's also very beautiful. And just the idea of her as a ballerina, I just, ugh, I'm fawning all over it. He takes her out to lunch, and the adjustment bureau is already in, like, full cleanup mode. Like, they're just trying to order lunch, and everybody's like, how are we going to fix this? They were not supposed to meet again. Guess who comes out of friggin' nowhere? The adjusters send Charlie up to the table. Like, I love it. Charlie, his campaign manager, just, he just walks up. He doesn't really know why he's there. I love how David goes, Charlie. How did you find me? And he goes, does it matter? And I'm like, no, I guess not. <laughs> Charlie doesn't know how he found him. You know what I mean? Because the adjusters can just boop and like everything's fine. Okay. So like they obviously had to clear Charlie's schedule, but like what did they have to do with everybody that had to meet with Charlie? Exactly. That's an example of ripple effects. Yeah. The more people go off plan, the more inflection points there are, meaning there are more opportunities for things to go even more wrong. So the butterfly effect? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And the thing is, is that they can only make so many adjustments. Because if they make too many adjustments on one item, then it's going to cause ripple effects for other things. There's a crowd of people waiting for your announcement speech at the Brooklyn Bridge right now. Wait, you're announcing today? You can't skip this for me. I know. I, I, I told you I'm not going to let you out of my sight. And David's not biting. He's like, no, I am not letting this woman out of my sight again. And so finally, Charlie gets him to agree. Because Elise is supposed to go to a dance rehearsal that's literally supposed to be across the river from where he's given this speech. It's next door. Yeah, so he's like, I'll just go give this speech and I'll run right next door to your dance studio and I'll watch you rehearse. And so... But guess what the bureau does? Oh my God. They move the rehearsal to a different space. Yeah. So he gets done with that speech he thinks everything is all hunky-dory, he's gonna go next door, and then he sees Richardson and McCready in the window of the building nearby. Not very inconspicuous, guys. <laughs> like, they're bad at this. Like, they're standing in the window. 
Like, he can see you, you stupid people. Like, <laughs> and I love it. Richardson ducks out of the way and he's like, I can't catch a break. No, well, you could if you would do your job correctly. <laughs> Now David knows that the adjusters are on to them. And I and I love it because it's just more of the heavy sighing from the adjusters. Like, David, it's time to watch Matt Damon run around some more. He's run into that rehearsal space and there's Richardson on the sidewalk. He's like, the whole world of women out there. Thought we established this one was off limits. But it's been a while. I must have forgotten. Doesn't change the fact. You put us together three times. That wasn't us. That was just chance. Why do you want to keep us apart? Because the plan says so. There's a lot of women in the world. <laughs> I thought we agreed this one was off limits. <laughs> Come on, man. This is where, Ross, you were asking, well, why don't they just hit David with a car? Like, incapacitate him. Because they have no control over how hard the car hits him or, like, what kind of internal damage is actually done. And they can, oh, wait a minute. This is right. Because they can't hurt him. He's vital. To the survival of the universe. Yes, he is a valued <laughs> member of this organization. <laughs> so finally, David has to hail a cab. He pulls out a $100 bill. He hands it to the cabbie and he goes, listen, if you want to make a fast $100, you're going to have to break literally every traffic law. <laughs> <laughs> because he's got to get to that studio before the adjusters can stop him. Yeah. So this cabbie is running every single light in a busy New York midtown traffic. And the adjusters are running behind him, trying to stop him. Got inflection points. All he needs to do is see her dance and you're at your ripple limit. What? I blocked the door. He's already through it. Not that one, the next one. Uh, excuse me. Uh, David Norris, I'm here to see Elise. Blocking the wall. If David sees Elise dance, ooh, baby, that's it. He's in love with her forever at that point. Gross. I know, but don't you kind of get it? Yeah. Like, that's one of my favorite things about love stories is, like, when we watch the love interest do a thing they love, right? And be really good at it. I love watching the- Jack Black in the holiday. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! Remember when you got a crush on Jack Black after I we watched hate the it. <laughs> Jack Black is a bean, though. He runs into that studio. He opens the door to the space. And there she is. Dancing around. And Richardson and McCready come in right behind him like, shit! And then Matt Damon's got this face like, ah ha ha ha. <laughs> so, this is bad. This is very, very bad. Mac, we gotta withdraw from the case. They kicked it upstairs. To who? To Terrence Stamp. <laughs> right. Because Richardson and Harry have mishandled this case so poorly, they're going to kick it up to his The super- poorest. They've handled it the poorest. Yeah. And it's supposed to be like really important, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, guys, you had one job. So they're going to give it to his superiors instead. Richardson is going to get a tongue lashing from his bosses. And instead of getting the old heave-ho, whatever that would look like, I don't know how, I don't know if you could fire an adjuster. Could you do that? Or could you just move yeah, them? Yeah, you can fire them, but they go to hell. Do they? Yeah, they're angels. Well, I know, but like, do, couldn't kid- you just move them to like another department of universal management? Been thinking about applying for hell. I've been thinking about applying to hell. <laughs> You'd make a lovely bellboy. I would. <laughs> Welcome to hell. I'll take your bags. Right this way, Mr. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of getting the old heave ho, like some other mid-level guy takes him aside, takes him into this research library. Because here's the thing. In addition to being able to manipulate everything that's going on in the present, 
They also have this- They have Art Deco office space? Yeah, they have an Art Deco office space that just kind of tangentially exists simultaneously with our universe. I don't like that heaven is corporate. (laughs) (laughs) It does make sense, though, doesn't it? Is that what it is? Like, I feel like- Is heaven corporate and hell's just like a burning- garbage wasteland (laughs) he takes him into this research library that's in their office space and he's like listen i know you're real pissed off with how this case has gone but it turns out you were jinxed from the start it seems like david norris and elise sellis were meant to be together because they were meant to be together wait what well in the 70s when he was born they were meant to be together same thing in the 80s 90s. It wasn't until 2005 that the plan changed and she was supposed to stay with Adrian. That's why they seem so faded to each other. That's why they're so perfect. I'm sick of the chairman. I know, right? New chairman. <laughs> New chairman 20 always. I love the way they put it. It's like they feel like they belong to each other, even though they don't. And that's just going to create more and more and more problems. Well, it has been rather hard keeping them <laughs> apart. So I guess it's fate. I guess. (laughs) We get another scene where Elise and David are spending more time together. And like, you know, they just the fact that they neither of them really seem to have anybody else. It just raises the stakes for this love story. You want them both to have each other. I'm sick of the bureau at this point. (laughs) I know. I know. And, you know, they go home. They go back to her apartment. They have this tender little lovemaking scene with this tinny piano and a blue scale filter. Yeah. And like there's this shot of them spooning afterwards. They're asleep. And like the camera slowly pulls out. And there's a man in a fedora. There's a floating fedora at the end of the bed. (laughs) Ah! There's a man at the end of the bed watching them sleep. This is Terrence Stamp, the adjuster known as Thompson. This is Supreme Chancellor (laughs) Valar. This is Ramsley. (laughs) The rain has swollen the river. Who else is creeping at the foot of your bed? It's Terrence Stamp. Like, Thompson's supposed to be, like, a big scary deal in the Bureau. Like, when cases go wrong, he's the one that gets shit done. Like, the next morning, they're getting all desperate. They, like, put in a call to the ex-boyfriend, you know what I'm saying? Mm. This ex-boyfriend, his name's Adrian, I think. Adrian Toussaint. Elise hasn't heard from this guy in, like, three months, and all of a sudden he's calling her. And I love David, he's like, hmm, yeah, that is strange. That is weird. Was it serious? We were engaged. So not really that serious? (laughs) Right. He was a great guy, brilliant choreographer and dancer, and... He sounds great. Why didn't you marry him? Because of you. How powerful is that? Wow. This man she hasn't seen in three years. He's the reason she doesn't marry this choreographer. He's like, yeah, we she's like, yeah, we haven't talked in so long, and he called me four times this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Trifle with my lifle. <laughs> Trifle with my lifle. That's absolutely right. And so he decides, you know what? I'm not letting her out of my sight. He's supposed to go on The Daily Show today. He's like, listen, why don't you come with me? Do Watch me do my segment. And then we can hang out after that. Yeah. And she's like, okay, all right. We see Jon Stewart again. Elise is backstage watching it on TV. And like this stagehand comes in. And like you look at the stagehand. It's pretty obvious to us as an audience that it's John Slattery in disguise. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, I know. I see you. This is Richardson. You 
<laughs> and he's like, listen, we need you to come with us. Uh, the senator's going to meet you outside or whatever. And another adjuster leads David through a door that puts him back in that scary parking space. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, no. And then the door closes. It's like, ha ha, can't get back through to her. This, I love this part because we watched this together, right? He sits there in that garage by himself for the longest time until finally Thompson shows up. And Thompson's first line is, frustrating, isn't it? And you went, yeah, sure is. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> My God. Whatever happened to free will? We actually tried free will before. After taking you from hunting and gathering to the height of the Roman Empire, we stepped back to see how you do on your own. Beep. 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 Exposition dump. Okay. Because this is the point in the movie where you're thinking, you know what? What gives all these dudes and fedoras any right to control my life? Okay. So David is making the argument that I have the right to choose my own path in life. Like, don't I have free will? Don't trifle with my lifeful. <laughs> and so Thompson said, bitch, you don't even know the half of it. We gave y'all free will after the height of the Roman Empire. And you're like, Huh? <laughs> right? And so, um, but then you brought the Dark Ages on yourself. You know, medieval times, all that good shit. War, disease. And so, like, so we, 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 we stepped back in. And then we gave you the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. And, um, free will was finally totally restored, like, after the beginning of the 20th century. And then, y'all put yourselves through two world wars, a depression, fascism, the Holocaust, all the way up until the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we retook control. I'm lo I'm loving this little history retrospective we're getting. I did enjoy this. This was my favorite part of the film. <laughs> It really was, and I promise you, it's much more complex than I'm explaining. I love that their whole attitude as adjusters is like, listen, you can pick whether or not you want to take a bath before dinner or after dinner. You're still going to get wet. Exactly! <laughs> I mean, it's also kind of like Vicky in iRobot, right? Yeah. We must save you from, from yourselves. yourselves. You toxify your earth, despite our best efforts. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, yeah. we just cleaned up this mess. I just love it. The, humanity is not mature enough for adult decisions. That's the long and short of what he's trying to say. He very bluntly explains to David, you need to become president. Yeah. The, the plan is for you to become the president, and Elise is going to become probably one of the most famous dancers in the world. You're both going to become splendidly successful, but if you stay together, you will fall into obscurity, the both of you. David, you can change the world. That doesn't happen if you stay with her. Why do you people care who I love? It's not about her. It's about you. What being with her does to you. What it does to me? I'm better when I'm with her. Even you said it. The speech? In small doses, Elise was the cure. But in large doses, she rubs off on you. Stop. David, the president can't be a loose cannon. Stop talking. And, you know, David, David can't be talked out of it. He's like, I don't care what you say. I love her and I'm not going to stop until I'm with her. And so Thompson's like, all right, fine, whatever. If you leave right now, you can still catch her show. And like, I love Thompson because this is like, this is a little strategy, right? He lets David leave and go to the performance space. And then he breaks Elise's ankle. He's standing there watching her dance. And all of a sudden, Thompson's just behind him. When you look back at all this, David, 
Just remember, we tried to reason with you. On his way out the door, he like flicks his hand a little bit and it makes one of the male dancers drop Elise and she like lands sideways on her foot. Not animal, angel. Oh, all right. So we're at the hospital. She's on the mend for her leg, and- It's just a sprain. It's just a sprain. Thankfully, it's not going to do any lasting damage. It was, I think, a warning shot from Thompson. This is David's low point. Yeah, David gets bogged down. He's like, all right, I'm going to let this lay- I'm going to break myself away from her. So, and the best way that he could possibly come up with how to do it is to just leave. He just leaves the hospital. He says he's going to go get some ice. And just never comes back. And never comes back. I feel so bad for Elise. Because, like, I get it. He can't explain to her why he can't be with her. I can't be with you because the angel said no. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, he could have made something up. Something. Anything. He's a politician for crying out loud. That's what they do best. Tell a lie. (laughs) Tell a lie so she doesn't feel like she's just been dumped in the most cruel way possible. But, nope, that's what happens. Richardson and Harry are standing at the window of the bureau, reflecting on what they've done. And Harry says something that's oddly self-aware. You ever wonder if it's right? I mean, if it's always right? Not like I used to. Look, chairman has the plan. We only see part of it. And like, Did you just question God? <laughs> Did you just question the chairman? And Richard, I love how Richardson's response is basically like, yeah, but God knows best. Like, isn't that, isn't that what we hear all the time, though? It's Wh- in God's hands. It's God's will. It's like when stupid shit happens that we can't explain or that make us mad, everybody, like people who believe in God are like, well, it's God's will. It's literally the doctrine of the Westboro Baptist Church. It's God's will? They believe that when women get raped, it's God's will. Oh, it, fuck off with that nonsense. They believe that when we kill each other in war, it's God's will. Stop it! I, mm, I hate those people. I know. I, I hope they all rot in hell. That would be justice, wouldn't it? I'm not. And, and when I'm a bellboy in hell, I am not showing them to the good rooms. <laughs> They're going to the defunct Howard Johnson rooms. They're going to the rooms that have, like, the boogers on the wall. The dried, bloody boogers on mm, the wall. Yeah. Springs poking up through the mattress. Uh-huh. And so, do we get another time jump? Eleven months later! <laughs> this movie takes place over, like, the course of four years. Wait, we need, we, we need to, oh my god. Like, it's been eleven months. I'm gonna need you to just quickly go through the next stages of this film for me. Yeah, is this where it starts to lose you? Yeah, okay. I, I can't, I can't. So, eleven months later, David is back on the campaign trail, he's refocusing himself, and The election is going in his favor this time because of that stupid speech he made about the scuffed shoes. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody's kind of on his team now. And, like, they're at, like, a campaign event, and Charlie comes up to him and shows him the newspaper, shows him the New York Times. Elise has become, like, a huge, big-deal choreographer during her time away from David. And not only has she become a choreographer... But she's gone back to that Adrian guy. Adrian Troussant. They're going to get married. God. I love it when you say his last name like that. Troussant. Because that's how it's spelled. <laughs> croissant. Adrian Croissant. I'll have a croissant. I am Elise Croissant. Fiend choreographer. And so Harry the Adjuster gets a message to a very depressed David that he wants to meet. He walks up and goes, 
fuck God. <laughs> I'm going to help you out. <laughs> I think it's eating at Harry. Yeah. Like, he knows these are two good people, and there's really no good reason they shouldn't be together. Is Harry better angels? I mean, I think, I think, like, <laughs> I don't know about, listen, first Is Harry of all, one of the better angels? This is where Harry explains to David in explicit terms why they can't be together. Thompson was lying when he said you couldn't be with Elise because she brings out your reckless side. Then why? Why do they care so much? Because she's enough, David. If you have her, you won't need to fill that void inside of you with applause and votes and dreams of one day making it to the White House. In a weird way, David kind of gets it. Like, he's barely trying at this election, and he's winning by a substantial margin. Because he doesn't have to focus on Elise. He can throw himself into his work. I gotta try and get her back. Will you help me? Will you just help me get to her? They'll sense you coming a mile away. What if I could move as fast as you? Teach me about the doors. Finally, Harry agrees he's going to help David interrupt this wedding. Mm. He's going to teach him how to navigate the doors in New York City. Here, put on this hat. You don't have to be an adjuster to make the doors work. Yep. You just have to wear a fedora, I guess. So they go down into this, like, sewer or something because there's a bunch of water down there, right? And so the adjusters aren't going to be able to see them plot their route to get to the courthouse. Because again, like an alien in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, we don't do water. Like, Adrian and Elise are just doing a little courthouse wedding, which, that's fine. You can just look at Adrian and tell that he's nobody. <laughs> like, he's he's nobody for anybody. You know Aww, what I mean? Oh, that's so mean. He but... looks like a fuck. Like, I can tell he's a fuck. <laughs> and Elise is not- We see Elise arriving at the courthouse for their ceremony. Number one, she's wearing black. Come on. And then- If you're in mourning for your own wedding, come on. <laughs> Like, you can tell she doesn't want to do this. No. She's so close to barfing, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. So with the power of the adjuster hat, Harry has given David the, the ability to just screw up this wedding. It's pouring down rain outside. And so David is able to navigate this complex system of doors going from, like, midtown all the way to the courthouse. As soon as he puts that hat on and goes through the first door, like, everybody is in holy shit mode at the bureau. It looks like Mr. Norris is using the rain to make a run for it. Call the proctor at the wedding. David's running through New York. It's pouring down rain. He bowls through every door, ready to hit the next one. There's one door. He opens it, and he doesn't close it all the way. And there's people, like, looking through the door, like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like a door to, like, an office. And it, like, it looks like there's, it's the outside in there. When he goes to that bar and goes into the coat closet, <laughs> but it's not the coat closet. And that woman follows him in there. And is like, sir. <laughs> and there's nobody there. <laughs> Finally, he gets through that last door, and he's in the bathroom where Elise is literally trying to psych herself up for her own wedding. Yeah. She is not happy to see him. No. You can't. Don't touch me. What are you doing? You're Do you right. know that no one's You're ever right. hurt me as much I know. as you did? I'm so sorry that I left you the way that I did. Oh, David, you I'm know so... what? You left me in a fucking hospital. What are you doing? I know. It seems terrible, but there was a reason. You don't know anything about me and I'm... what makes me happy. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I... No. 
Absolutely not. She's like hitting him. Yeah. Like, do you have any idea what I went through? And he's like, listen, it was the angels. And she's like, you're crazy. This guy comes into the bathroom, interrupts them, wearing a fedora. And like, he, David just punches him out. Just punches his lights out. With no explanation. Because we don't need any. He's with the bureau. <laughs> he's like, it's fine. He's with them. He picks up that guy's copy of the plan and shows her. Like, look, we were meant to be together. This book used to say that we were meant to be together. And like the whole time, Richardson's got his eyes on the book watching things get worse and worse. Son of a bitch, he just revealed us. So in order to convince her that this is all true, he puts on that hat and opens the door to the maintenance closet in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, we're in Yankee Stadium. And she's like, what? 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 <laughs> what the hell is going on, David? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How did we just do that? I'm so sorry. Okay. How did we just okay, do that? These doors belong to the people who are chasing us. Who are they? I, I, I don't know what to call them, but uh, they, they, they want to take you away from Why? me. Why? Why do they care about us? Look, they, they hurt your ankle. At least everything you've worked for your entire life. It doesn't happen if you stay with me. That's why I left you in the hospital. I understand. I just, I feel so bad for her because she barely has 10 seconds to process any of this. She has no time to get McReady. I know. It's like, this is crazy. What the hell is happening? What the fuck is happening? Then they get to like the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, he pulls her onto Ellis Island. And at this point, she's wheezing from panic. She's like, listen, 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 listen. <laughs> he's trying to explain to her. He knows that he's scaring her. So he just looks at her and levels with her. Okay. I can go through this door alone. You'll never see me or the people chasing us again. Or you could come with me. And I don't know what's on the other side, but I know you'd be next to me. And that's all I've wanted since the minute I met you. I'm coming with you. She does it. She goes with him. She, I mean, I mean, come on. Was she ever, was there ever any doubt? Somehow they end up in the Bureau's offices. They go to heaven. Well, remember when Harry was explaining this to him, he's like, you gotta, you gotta turn the doorknob clockwise, right? Mm, yes. He's like, what if I turn it counterclockwise? And Harry's like, do not do that. Oh, that's how you get to heaven. Yeah, that's how you Sorry, end up. Sorry, the offices. <laughs> That's how you get to the bureau. The bureaucratic heaven. Yeah. I love how every room in this office space is either like parquet floors or that really scary green carpet from the 70s. That yeah. you- <laughs> yeah. The kind you could like grate cheese on. No. <laughs> They're trying to find the chairman's office because it's a pretty clear line of logic, right? Okay. If the plan says we can't be together... Let's go find the guy that wrote the plan. Mm -hmm. So they keep running through the hallways of this bureau and they keep getting cut off by all of the personnel. Everybody's right around the corner and they finally, they have to go up to the roof. There's nowhere else to go. Here's the thing. They get onto that roof. It's the observation deck of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Is it really? Yeah. How do you know that? It's the GE building. They're at the top of 30 Rock. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Uh Uh-huh. Is heaven... In the top penthouse of 30 Rock? God, I hope not. <laughs> like, jeez. There's like two entrances and exits to the roof. They're and blocked at both ends. Yeah, they're sandwiched between these two troops of very scary looking men. And you know what they do? They declare their love for one another. I love you. I love you. And that's all that's necessary. Because 
They share they share a passionate kiss, right? Right. They break away from each other. They're gone. All the scary men are suddenly gone. Huh? <laughs> Like, we actually, like, this is what's funny to me, is that so many times in movies, we're like, at a certain point, they didn't know how to end this, right? Like, it's They like, wrote themselves to the top of a building and then couldn't get off. Like, they got themselves stuck! Yeah. <laughs> they literally cornered themselves. <laughs> when they unlock their lips and all those scary dudes are gone, Thompson's standing there like, did you really think that you could outfox us? But here comes Harry... Da 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 to save the day. <laughs> do, 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 do. Sorry, no. <laughs> Harry comes up with this Manila envelope. David, you risked everything for Elise. And Elise, when you came through that door at the Statue of Liberty, you risked everything too. But you inspired me. Seems like you inspired the chairman too. He undoes that envelope and he shows them a new page of the plan that ends with their lines finally crossing. And going off into the distance together. So, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This entity, this ghost character that we never see, just decides the plot will wrap up nicely. Guys, it's literally Deus Ex Machina, God from the Machine. We have an actual Deus Ex Machina. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. I'm pissed. <laughs> Why are you so pissed? Because we just magically have a happy ending. Like, you think that after all that struggle and all that turmoil, that it should be a little more difficult. This isn't Medea. <laughs> this isn't Deus Ex And I don't mean Tyler Perry Medea. You mean like Greek Medea. I mean Greek tragedy Medea. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina. Like, come on. It's literally God intervening. And like, guys, that's just kind of how the movie ends, is on the rooftop with David and Elise in each other's loving arms. And everything's going to be fine from now on. And you know what? Here, Here's my headcanon. David and Elise unite to bring dance to the United States Congress. <laughs> and through interpretive dance, we legislate by 2050. <laughs> All the filibusters are now like interpretive dance. Every filibuster is a dance now. <laughs> Most people live life on the path we set for them. Too afraid to explore any other. But once in a while, people like you come along who knock down all the obstacles we put in your way. People who realize free will is a gift you'll never know how to use until you fight for it. I think that's the chairman's real plan. That maybe, one day, we won't write the plan. You will. Alright guys, that's it! Thank God. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I know, I know. I'm sorry, no. I liked the movie up until the end. I know. And then I was so ready to be done with it. I was like, this is silly. That, that movie's kind of solid for a lot of aspects. It's got good characters. The concept is solid and interesting. The way they build the lore around it in the movie. But we wrote ourselves into a corner. Yeah, we wrote ourselves to the top of a building and didn't know how to get down. <laughs> So, like, up your I agree. Up until the end, it's a pretty enjoyable movie. And, like, Matt Damon, who pretty much just has one role, and that's Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't mind it here. I don't mind that he's basically playing his adorable, charming self. And Emily Blunt is a treat always. Yes. And just, I just love, I love this little love story. It has a 70% on the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and it's just like, I feel like no one ever talks about this movie. And it's not like I'm like, well, why not? But, like... I'm just like, guys, this movie was not that bad. It's like all the critics left this movie and went, don't call her. 
<laughs> oh no! Because I never heard about it again after the year 2011 until right now. This movie, oh my god, oh my chairman. <laughs> this movie is about to be 10 years old. Oh my god! On February 14th, oh, it'll be 10 no. years old. I know, right? It's absolutely, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> I can't believe the that critics we're... left that film and went, "Don't call her back. Don't call her again." It's not working out. Oh, no. Again, I'm not going to have a whole rosy outro here. This movie's just fun. It's a non-conventional love story. It's a good starter. It's a good starter. Yeah, I wanted to give us like a high energy flick for the first film of 2021. Oh, and you'll never guess what our next unconventional love story is. Guys, we're going to be doing a musical. I am excited, guys. You know we shine brightest when we do musicals. Guys, it's going to be a good time. Next week, we are going to be covering the 2004 musical adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's timeless classic, Le Phantom de l'Opera. The Phantom of the Opera is there. Guys, we're doing Phantom. Allie, we're doing Phantom. <laughs> Allie's been asking us to do Phantom for a minute. Allie, if you're listening, we're doing Phantom. I hope you still listen. <laughs> she probably hasn't listened in months. I know. She probably hasn't listened since Labyrinth. <laughs> So look out for that, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That is with an and, not an ampersand. Guys, if you have any specific requests for 2021, now's a good time to email us and let us know some of the films you'd like to see. Absolutely. We're building a calendar for this year, so get them in early. And don't forget, rate, review, retweet. Practice the three R's in 2021. Rate, we, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party sorry for all the yelling (laughs) we really we were amped for this sorry sorry for all the yelling we're just excited to be back and more quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming until then i'm carrie i'm carrie (laughs) wait a minute i'm carrie and i'm ross and as always sorry sorry, dad Uh, mom (laughs) sorry what we just we just had such a break like you know (laughs) we had a nice long break i'm just not acclimated anyway sorry mom Got the news, got the news, got the news.